Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We are doing a series called Change Makers. And so we've been looking at these topics and looking at these things that, that we're kind of like, okay, going into 2019, uh, this is, these are the things that we're asking God to really bless us with, uh, to really give us kind of a, a settled heart about. And, and so I think it's important for us as a church to look at these topics. And then it's important for us as uh, just followers of Jesus and as families and young adults and students in high school and middle school and everything like that. And so today, I'm real excited to communicate to you from Philippians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Philippians chapter 4. And the topic I want to talk about in the final of this series is not being anxious. I want to deal with anxiety. Anxiety is something I struggle with. This is something you struggle with. And we're going to be really zeroing in in Philippians chapter 4. I don't have any slides today because I'm not going to be all over the place in the Bible. But you can find the passage in your bulletin there. And also you've got some chair Bibles you can open up to. Philippians chapter 4. And we're looking at just a really huge, famous passage. If you're just learning the Bible, um, this passage is just like a mountain peak. And for us preachers, it is just gold. I mean... It is so wonderful to preach this passage. And so let me read it uh, in full. Philippians chapter 4, and let me read through uh, verses 4 through 9. The Apostle Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What a great passage. Now, at Crosspoint, we have a working definition of the word anxiety. Some of you have been around for a while. You know our working definition of anxiety is as follows. It's so important, very deep, very theological, very philosophical. We're going deep right now. What is anxiety? Anxiety is thinking about the future and freaking out. That's anxiety. Anxiety is thinking about the future and freaking out. When I was young, man, I, I, I like never thought about the future. It drove my mom crazy. She was like, you know, like I'm not, my, my mom would be like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to be? What are you going to? And I was like, mom, I'm not worried about it. And she was like, you should start worrying about it. Then I got kids. 
And then I started freaking out about the future. Y'all know what I'm talking about, parents. Um, as they start growing up, as you start looking at culture, as you start getting informed about politics, as you start getting informed about sports, as you start thinking about significance and purpose and church and mission and ministry, it's easy to think about the future and freak out. That's anxiety. And there's, there's really nowhere in the Bible where God's like, hey, yeah, anxiety is a good idea. Now, some people might think it's a good idea. Like, like some people uh, treat anxiety like maybe it's part of the fuel for their lives. But, but there's nowhere where God's like, anxiety is a good idea. In fact, God says over and over again to his people, God says over and over to me, God says over and over to you, don't be anxious. Don't think about the future and freak out. One of the main reasons why is because God is God. So when we come to Philippians chapter 4, we, we know what God's going to say. We, we know that, that God is not calling us to a life of anxiety. We know that God wants us to walk, especially as followers of Jesus, as a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. To walk in peace in a world that's at conflict. Um, um, to have stability in the midst of spiritual warfare. But if you're like me, I have an honest question to God. How can I do that? How do I not think about the future and freak out? How can I be a non-anxious presence? God, I want to. I don't want anxiety in my life. I don't want to worry anymore. I want to walk with confidence. How do I do that? And I find in this passage in Philippians chapter 4, the how to not be anxious. And so what I'm going to do briefly this morning is I'm going to give you five ways to walk in a life that's not anxious. Five ways, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from the easiest things to do all the way up to the hardest, right? If you're like me, like, give me the easy step first. How about, you all know what I'm talking about. Like, start out with the elementary school stuff I need to do, and then move me slowly to, like, you know, higher education of not walking in anxiety. And that's what I really find in this passage is five ways going from easiest to the most difficult things I need to do in order to not be anxious. Let me give you number one. This is so easy. Rejoice in the Lord. Can I get an amen? Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Again I say rejoice. What, is, what does he mean by that? You know what he means by that? He, when, you, when you're tempted to look into the future and freak out, when you're tempted to look in the future and see uncertainty, what Paul wants your mind to do is Paul wants your mind to confess that God is on the throne. That God is already in the future. That God is eternal. That he has no beginning and no end. And that everything, past, present, and future, all of existence is right now before his omniscient eye. God is sovereign. 
That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. To confess, to talk to yourself, to worship, to sing, to open the Bible with a heart that says God is on the throne. God is not surprised by the future, even if we will be. God is not shocked. Think about it. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church and he's in prison. And as he is in prison, shackled up, he's writing this letter and he's saying rejoice in the Lord because what he's saying is even though I'm in jail, God is still on the throne. Even though I'm going through difficult circumstances, God has a plan. Even though Joseph was thrown in the pit in Genesis, God was working all things out for the good of Joseph. Even though Moses fled into the wilderness as a murderer, God was working all things out so that Moses could be a liberator. Even though David was just a, a young sheep, taking care of shepherd kind of guy. God had a plan and was working things out so that David could take out Goliath. Even though there were giants in the land, God had a plan for his Israelites to cross the Jordan to face their giants. Why? Because God is on the throne. And even if I'm going through the worst circumstance of my life, I'm still called to confess that my God is on the throne. Now, if you're like me, if you're like me, I have one of two choices every single day. I can either listen to myself or I can talk to myself. Now, when I listen to myself, then I'm letting myself determine what, the way I think about life, the, the way I'm going to interpret. But when I talk back to myself, that's when I start talking back and saying, no, 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 no. See, myself is... It leans towards anxiety. Myself leans toward the despair. I'm actually kind of a, I struggle sometimes with that gift of faith. You know what I mean? So what I got to do is talk to myself. I got to get crazy. I got to get radical. I got to look in the mirror and say, God's in control, Josh. I got to be driving down the road and I got to talk to myself. I got to say, God's in control. I got to turn up the Christian song that talks about the sovereignty of God. Can I get an amen? I got to talk back to myself. And that is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church to do. Don't listen to yourself. Talk back to yourself. Yeah, people will think you're weird. They'll think you're crazy. That's because we serve an almighty God. And he's worth being a little crazy for. Paul is telling this church in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice in the Lord. How do I cultivate a non-anxious life, a non-anxious presence? How do I not think about the future and freak out? I rejoice in the Lord. Here's the number two thing to do. He says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he says this, Let your reasonableness, love this. Oh my goodness, I love this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now that word reasonable comes from a Greek word. It means lenient. In other words, be lenient. 
This is incredible. So number two, how do I cultivate a non-anxious presence, non-anxious life, practice, and be as lenient as possible with everybody around you? Can I get an amen? Be lenient. As lenient as you can give other people. Be gracious. Be forgiving. Most of our anxiety, guess what? Most of our anxiety has a lot to do with other people. Sometimes even people we love bring anxiety into our life. Sometimes church members bring anxiety into my, not mine, but maybe yours, but probably not. But anyways, neighbors bring anxiety into your life. We are tempted every day to harbor bitterness, to cultivate grudges, to, to hold records of wrongs, to say, I can't believe she said that. I'm going I'm to remember that forever. I'm going to remember she looked at me that way. I'm going to remember that he did that. You see, here's the thing. The church in Philippi, which is the church that this is written to, was an awesome church. Some of the New Testament churches struggled, like the church in Corinth, Bad church, really strong, really dysfunctional. This church was a really great church, one of the Apostle Paul's favorites. I think he played favorites, and I think he really loved this church in Philippi. However, there was a conflict between some of the church ladies in the church. And if you read the letter, you can read about that. And he's telling these church ladies, man, y'all need to get along. Y'all need to work out your differences. Y'all need, need to forgive one another. And that's why he's saying to them, be reasonable. Be lenient. Anxiety is fueled by grudges. Mark it down. Anxiety is fueled by holding, cultivating bitterness. Anxiety is fueled when we can't get our mind off of our enemies, even when we're surrounded by our friends. And Paul is telling these Christians, you've got to be reasonable. You've got to be as lenient as possible. And why is that so important? Is Paul a shrink? Is, 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 Paul, is Paul just wanting people to feel better about themselves? No, for Paul, this is one of the expressions and confessions of really believing the good news of Jesus Christ. What makes us right with God? What brought forgiveness into your life? Jesus. In the Christian gospel, the good news, the published, proclaimed good news of, of God is, is that he sent his one and only son to die in our place, to be an exchange for us, to, to defeat death. And the Apostle Paul had said in Philippians, he had said that, that when we believe in Jesus, we receive a righteousness that's not our own. In fact, go with me really quick if you have your Bibles. I don't have this in the bulletin or slide, but if you have a Bible, go to just a little earlier in the, in the book, Philippians chapter 3. In verse 8, you can pull it up on your phone or iPad or, or you can just listen. That's fine too. But if you can put your eyes on it, man, it's so, this is like so good. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 8 and following, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. And what scholars say, theologians, the way they put it, because they always put it in fancy ways, you know what I'm saying? Kind of these stark, like, big words. And what they say is, they call it the alien righteousness of God or the imputed righteousness of God for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. That means if you're not a Christian today, you're on your way to hell unless there's the great escape clause you believe that Jesus died for you and defeated death. And the moment you believe, this is crazy. The moment you believe, the righteousness of God is imputed to your account immediately. And God sees you upon faith as righteous before God. You're forgiven. You're cleared. Your sins are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. You're promised eternal life in the kingdom of God. And what Paul is doing is he's taking this profound good news and he's applying it to community and to family and to relationships. And he's saying, listen, what Christ has given to you, you are to redo in the lives of other people. You are greatly forgiven, so be great forgivers. God is lenient towards you. God has let go of his grudge. God put his grudge against you on the cross. He nailed it, he buried it, and he's come back to life so you can have new life. Let that flow in your relationships. Let that flow in your marriages. Let that flow in your church. Does that mean Christians never deal with conflict? Oh, man, we know how. We're supposed to know how to deal with conflict better than anybody. I'm not saying that we do it better than anybody, but we should. Because even when we have to deal with conflict and we got to confront a brother or sister or a wife or a husband or a child... The proportion of the problem is brought back into perspective in light of grace. And we still might need to confront, and we still might need to ask people to change, or we might ask people to admit that they've wronged us, but it's brought back to a hill and not a mountain anymore. It's not this crushing identity thing. It's just that I'm helping my wife. I'm helping my husband. I'm helping my kids grow. It's not about me anymore. I just want people to be blessed by change. Can I get an amen? And when you become that kind of person, when I become that kind of person, God help me become that kind of person. When I become that kind of person, I will be less anxious. I will. I won't think about the future and freak out as much because I'm not holding grudges. Like everybody out there, they're walking in works. They're walking in religion. They're walking in self-righteousness. They're walking in a self-righteousness that says, well, my sin's not that big a deal, but everybody else's sin is a big deal. And man, that's like, that's like walking around with, with a broken piece of glass and just squeezing. Squeezing and the bitterness and the anxiety and the, the fear and the gospel is an antidote. It's a power. I love, I got to move a little quicker, but I love where he says the promise. He says in verse 4, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand on top of the righteousness of God. God is with you. 
He's right there with you. He's walking with you in the valley. He's walking with you on the mountaintop. He's walking with you through the fire. He's walking with you through the sunshine. Lord, bring more sunshine. Can I get a hallelujah? He's walking with you in the warmth. He's walking with you in the volar port. Uh, volar port. Anyways, he's walking with you when you talk in tongues while you're trying to preach. He's walking with you. The Lord is at hand. And what a great promise to know. No matter what, I will never be left or forsaken by God. I might not have any money in the bank account, but man, God is with me. The Lord is at hand. I notice with my daughters as they've been growing up and they'd be upstairs fighting and yipping and you know, and the other one would be like, you know, and you hear these distant, faint noises as a dad. You just hear the, and you can tell things are not going well upstairs. So the first thing you do as a dad, and if you're a new dad, just, you can take notes. You just go, hey, hey, and you hear, and about five minutes later, it's like, and you're like, hey, don't make me come up there. <laughs> Wait a few minutes. And then it's like, boo. And so then, then you go upstairs. And you know, it's a miraculous thing when you actually show up in the room. Can I get an amen? Oh, everybody starts being reasonable then. Everybody starts being lenient then. Because daddy's in the room, and daddy's presence makes a difference in how the kids relate to each other. And even when you have to do the hard conversation and the conflict, which you do, I always, somebody told me once when I was really young in ministry, and I was in a meeting, and I was, I was like 25. This was before I got to cross point, so don't worry. It's like 25, and I remember I got mad in a meeting, and it's like, no, and rah, you know, and I was like really bold, and I, you know, I'm kind of a little guy, so I feel like sometimes I got to talk loud, and a guy pulled me to the side after the meeting, he said, Josh, listen, man, I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for your ministry, but when you're in a meeting, even when you have to tell your team a difficult thing, act like Jesus is in the chair right next to you, and that'll guide your words even when you got to say hard things. Let your reasonableness be known. The Lord is at hand. The number two thing is be lenient. First thing, rejoice in the Lord. Number two, be lenient. Number three, pray. I mean, this sounds obvious, but we got to be told it, right? You got to pray. How, how do I become a non-anxious presence? I just need to pray. And he gives one of the greatest little clips of biblical prayer you will ever read anywhere in the Bible. He says, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, briefly, I would just say that the language he's using in this verse is, is he's including all the Greek words. I mean, he is just like leveraging every uh, Greek word as his arsenal to talk about prayer. 
And he's like, man, you just need to bring your anxieties to God in prayer. The first word he uses is where it's translated just prayer, which means piety or devotion or worship. So a prayer that worships God. A prayer that rehearses the greatness of God. A prayer life where you're saying, God, you are mighty. You are awesome. Hallowed be your name. You are awesome. Then he says supplication, which is, that's, that's about things that you need in your life. God, I've got an economic shortfall, or God, I've got, I got this anxiety thing. I've got this job anxiety. I've got this relationship anxiety. I'm praying about supplication. Then he uses a third word for prayer, a Greek word translated thanksgiving. So, God, I'm thankful for what I do have. I'm not going to forget the good stuff. I'm not going to let the bad stuff eclipse the good stuff in my life. I'm going to rejoice at the people you've given to me, the roof over my head, the food on the plate. Thank you, God, for this meal. Then he says, let your requests be made known to God. Your requests are your dreams, the things you want. God, I don't need these things, but these are the things I want, man. I want to, I feel like my purpose is to do X, Y, and Z. Can you meet this dream or can you adjust it to the dream you want me to have? But this is my heart's desire. I can remember being a young adult, single, and wanting to get married. And I was like, God, you know, you are more than enough, but I want a wife and I want a family and I want you to prepare me for that dream and I want you to prepare me to be the man I need to be so I can be the husband I need to be and the daddy I I dream of being. See, these are prayers and the only thing I would say about prayer is just to be as specific as possible. Pray. And you have a prayer journal. I pray differently depending upon the year and the season. I've done different things, but I've always tried to be as intentional as possible. Right now, I have a prayer journal, so I write out my prayers to make sure I'm getting it done. But man, pray. You, you worship God. You tell Him what's going on. You confess. You, you worship. You give thanks. You supply. Pray. How do you practice non-anxiety? You rejoice. You're lenient as you possibly can be. And number three, you pray. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is what I call meditation. Paul says that they are to meditate. He says here in verse 8, this is just an amazing passage. He says, finally, brothers... It's always kind of funny when Paul says finally because he usually has like two more chapters of writing, which means he was a preacher. And preacher says, and finally, two hours later, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We talked about this at men's breakfast yesterday. I was talking to the fellows about this, this verse because I used to think that this verse was like have a positive attitude. You know, positive thinking. Think about positive things. Happy things. Things that, things that cause you to, to feel good. But actually, this is not about positive or negative thinking. It's about right and wrong. It's about thinking about righteousness. It's about thinking about what's true. 
It's about contrasting what's true with what's not true. What is pure? What is impure? What is excellent? What is not excellent? What is virtuous? This is so important to anxiety. Because if our mind thinks about lies and thinks about sin and we're not, we're not catching uh, the tem tempting ideas that are entering into our brain, then, then we're beginning to be tempted by sin and impure thoughts, non-excellent thought, unrighteous thoughts. Paul is like, man, believers are to walk and to check what's going into the mind and to evict lies. And to replace lies with truth. What is true? What is honorable? What is pure? Lovely and commendable. This is such a lost art. We don't talk about virtues in our culture anymore. We talk about values. We talk about preferences. We talk about, we talk about all, all these other things, but we, we no longer talk about virtue. In fact, our culture has lost virtue. And what we have in the Word of God is we've got virtue rooted in the character and the attributes of God. Righteousness. There are right things and wrong things. And it's good to proclaim over your house when you see something on TV that's wrong, say, that is not pure. Can I get an Amen. When something is, is invading your home and your family that's not right, you say, that's not right. Here's what's right. Paul is telling the church in Philippi, in a Roman empire, in a culture filled with paganism and, and, and gods that are not gods and, and temples and all, all of the, the, the pluralistic options spiritually that the Philippians had. Paul is like, man, focus your mind on what's right in a culture that is wrong. Man, as you fill your life with righteousness, as you fill your life with light, anxiety will go away. The final thing is imitation. How can I lead a life of non-anxiety? I need people in my life who model it for me. Verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's like, hey man, I get it. I get it. Some of you, you're still learning. I get it that, that some of you, you, have, you haven't fully developed your faith on your own. Hey, listen, latch your faith to my wagon. Let me pull you down the street. Let me show you how it's done. Do what I do. Say what I say. Believe what I believe for a season in your life. And you know what I need in my life is I need people who are mature in the Lord. I need, I need mentors and counselors and community of people who model for me what I want to be, especially as a man. But women, you need this as well. Do you have people who love the Lord, who are non-anxious presence type people that you connect with, that you're learning from? You know, as a church, we don't know how else to do this better than as a church really connecting to life groups. And we've been pushing our life groups are getting back started. And man, there is no more important season in our church 
right now than really connecting together and being with people who are not anxious. So that when you are anxious, they're going to say, it's okay, I've been there too. I know what that feels like. They can put their arm around you and say, hey, God's on the throne. Hey, let's be lenient. Let's be as forgiving as possible. Hey, hey, let's, let's pray about that together. Hey, let's, let's talk about what's righteous, what's pure. Hey, let me be an example to you. Do you have community? Do you have people that model for you what it looks like to follow Jesus in a fallen world? See, with this gospel, we can look out in the future and not freak out because our God is in control and our God is on the throne. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. I often am far more anxious than I care to admit and I love coming under this passage once again and asking you to help me to align my life with the values and the virtue of this passage. Help me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to become more of a man by grace and with your strength that looks like and embodies this passage. God, I love you. I love you because you first love me. And I know you love Crosspoint. I thank you for Crosspoint. So now, Lord, we, uh, we just ask that you would apply this passage to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace as a church to walk through these truths. And that we would be a community firmly rooted in you as our shepherd and our leader. Pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.